The following audio presentation is from Parkwood Baptist Church. The purpose of Parkwood Baptist Church is to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. More information about Parkwood Baptist Church is available at parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org. We're in Psalm 4. If you don't have a copy of the scripture, the chair Bible uh, underneath you close by is page 448. Uh, This morning we'll be looking at the, the entire psalm with this main idea that the Lord responds personally to provide for his own. I'm going to read this text in a moment and then I'm going to apply what Donald Whitney teaches this week in our growth group lesson on uh, prayer for the purpose of godliness and then this little book called Praying the Bible. So after I read the scripture, I'm going to ask you to keep your eyes open on the text. And I want to show you how you keep yourself from praying the same repetitious phrases over and over again. You open your Bible and you pray what is there in front of you. So with that in mind, let's give attention to God's word. Let's stand together. To the choir master with stringed instruments, a Psalm of David. Answer me when I call, O God, of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, How long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? Selah. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your hearts on your beds and be silent. Selah. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Let's pray. O God, we come now. God of our righteousness, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we come boldly believing that you answer your people. You answer when we cry. So I plead for the men and women who have come in here in great distress, who need relief today. Be gracious toward us. Lord, you have set apart your people for yourself. You hear them. You you hear us now. God, I pray that we will put our trust in you. I pray that there will be joy that would overflow in our hearts through Christ and that you would grant a peace that passes understanding that would translate not only into this moment, but tonight when we lay down our head to go to sleep for you alone, God. You alone are our rock and our fortress. You alone make us dwell in safety. Bless us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So don't miss this. A part of the inspired text is the inscription to the choir master with stringed instrument, a Psalm of David. 
Now, when I first look at this, I'm asking the question, how does public worship and what God is telling the choir master to do, particularly those with stringed instruments, have to do with this prayer that David prays in distress? How do these two things come together? I was helped by this. Quote, the praises of God in the sanctuary should be conducted with so much skill as to be edifying. The subject of church music is worthy of attention from God's people and his ministers. The gospel neither prescribes nor forbids any particular mode of conducting this part of worship, provided only it be decent and edifying. Whether there shall be a chief musician, as in this text, or a band of musicians in each congregation, God has not decided. But in all places, we should edify the church with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Plainly, the people should sing. Why? Why should the people sing? Because we face hardship. The Lord only knows what came in on your backs and in your minds today. But here's what God's telling us. To take his word through song and sermon and minister to his people. To speak and to sing to one another that regardless of the trouble, his word adapts to all desperate situations. That we see, as Psalm 4 sees it, that our trouble is valuable. Yes, I just said that. That our trouble is valuable. And it's to be even used in public worship together. This, this psalm seems intent on correcting the way we think, on increasing our faith. This psalm is intelligent, it's theological, but it's also desperate at the same time. The occasion for this psalm is the evening. Psalm 3 is a morning psalm. It's the evening. It's concerned with inward peace in the face of a distracting situation. As night approaches, the temptation is to brood over what's wrong. But what we find here is that David makes his faith explicit and in this psalm, he's urging others to do the same. So that's why we sing it. We're saying to each other, let's look to God. So instead of him crying out for sympathy and asking God to attack his enemies, he asks God for grace. And the Lord gives grace in the time of need. Now, this first point is the longest point in the sermon. And those of you who pay attention, notice when you got, a preacher's got four points and when he takes this long on the first one, you're here till lunch. So I'm telling you, this is the longer point. And hear me, if you don't get this first point, you get nothing else. First, the cry for relief. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. Answer me when I call. If we desire to secure God's blessing, we must plead to God according to his promises. 
God of my righteousness. What we're saying from God, all of my righteousness comes. It is by his grace that we come. There is only one God who hears when we call, only one. There's only one God who can give relief and comfort. And there's only one way to come to this God and it is through Christ. Pastor Casey prayed earlier, Hebrews 10. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. We come in confidence through Christ and through Christ alone. And we pray this way. Notice the three requests. Answer me. Be gracious to me. Hear my prayer. All of these things are things that God has promised that he will do for his own. That God would give relief when we are in distress. That means when you come to God, you don't have to pretend. You come to him in your hurt speaking to him as you feel. Now, David first speaks to God. Now here he does an interesting thing. He appeals to his adversaries. For me, this is one of the most interesting parts of the Psalm. He says in verse two, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? And how long will you love vain words and seek after lies? Selah. So he's talking to those who are against him. Now notice what he doesn't ask for or what he doesn't express. He doesn't express vengeance. Now likely, likely, let's remember this, his own flesh and blood son, Absalom, has taken away his kingdom and is pursuing him to death. I'd be mad. Lord only knows how I would respond. I pray that this psalm would instruct my heart though. David appeals. He appeals to them and he's basically asking this question. When he says, how long will you love vain words and seek after lies? He's basically saying, do you mean to continue joking until you joke your soul into hell? Do, do you continue, mean to continue in your laughter until the vengeance of God comes upon you and you, your, your merriment turns into Howling. He, he here is asking them to contemplate their vain and lying pursuits. And there's a Selah. Selah means stop, pause. He, he, he wants everyone to think about this. So if you, if you think about this text, here's basically what God is saying to us through David. If sinners are right, then we are miserable people. But if saints are right and are pleasing to God, then sinners are crazy. They're mad. Now, he continues and he shows that the weapon against these who slander and ridicule 
is, is to appeal to the one who has taken hold of you. He appeals here to his own heart. I think he's appealing to his followers, those who are with him in this prayer. And I also think he's still appealing to his enemies here. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself and the Lord hears when I call to him. No, this is, a, this, is, this is something that we can rely on. This is firm ground to stand on. The Lord has set apart the godly, why? What does it say? For himself. The Lord hears when I call. Spurgeon wrote, he who chose us for himself will certainly hear our prayers. The Lord's elect shall not be condemned, nor shall their cry be unheard. Without this truth, God's faithful would sink into despondency. We're his. He hears us. So I ask this question to you. I want you to ask yourself, does the Lord hear me when I call? Here's another way to ask. Does God hear unbelievers when they pray? I'm gonna answer the question and then I'm gonna answer from scripture. Now he's God, he knows everything. So does he hear them? Yes, but he does not heed them. He has no obligation to them at all. Psalm 34, verse 15, if you're arguing in your heart with me. <laughs> Psalm 34, 15. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord, what? Hears and delivers them out of their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and save the, saves the crushed in spirit. Now here is the crucial question. Who are the righteous? Let me use Jesus for a minute to illustrate. Jesus told a parable. Two men went into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, one a tax collector. The Pharisee prayed kind of like this. Thoueth, lordeth, yallereth, wondereth, and listeneth to me, if prayeth, how beautifuleth, I pray. Oh God, you know I tithe and I go to church and I teach Sunday school. And God, I'm thankful for this. I'm not like that man, a sinner. And the scripture says from afar off, he beat his breast and said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. Here's basically what Jesus says. I don't know what this guy was doing, but it wasn't prayer. And God didn't hear him. 
God heard him. This was a shock and affront to the Jewish audience who heard him. And I dare say it's a shock to you because here's what many of you think. I've heard you pray. Now, when I say you, I'm speaking in general about people in this part of the country. And the prayer goes something like this. Thank you, God. We live in a free country and you hear us and you provide for us and you bless us. In other words, God, we're great people and we're doing great things on the earth. And isn't it great that you have us and you hear us? If you think the righteous are the people who are doing good things and the reason that God hears you is because of the good things you did this week, you are deadly wrong. The righteous are those who come to the Lord with a broken and crushed spirit. Those who understand that it is through Christ and Christ alone that we come, that it is because of our sin and our unrighteousness that we have need of Christ and that when we trust in Christ, his righteousness is applied to us and he opens the new and living way in which we come. We never deserve it. Ever. When we come in prayer, it is always by grace. Now, brothers and sisters, you're, 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 you're sitting in a Baptist church today. I just want to explain the difference between Baptists and some other places. You don't need me. So here's why you come to me and say, preacher, will you pray for me? Here's, here's what I think some of you are saying. Maybe not all of you. I think a pastor ought to pray for his people, okay? So I'm not belittling pray for you. But I think here's what some of you are saying. You're more righteous than me, so God hears you. What? There's only one righteous. Can we all get this? There's one. It's Christ. And he is seated at the right hand of the Father and he is your way to pray. You don't need me. I am not a means to grace. Christ is the only means. He is how we come to the Father. So the Lord gives grace. Second, the Lord gives perspective in periods of adversity. This is his grace at work. Verse four, be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your hearts on your beds and be silent. Selah. Ephesians 4, 26, be angry and sin not. I think David here is primarily applying to himself and his followers, still probably speaking to his adversaries. But here's what he's saying. What's being done to us here is wrong and it should bother us. It's unjust. I'm God's chosen servant. I, I shouldn't be driven out of the kingdom. But in my anger, I should not sin. Now, how, how am I gonna come to a place to have a righteous indignation, a right anger without vengeance? The answer is ponder in your hearts on your beds and be silent. Psalm 4610, be still and know that I am God. Donald Whitney there's a whole chapter it's coming and it's gonna rock your world. It rocked mine the first time I read it. He's got a whole chapter on silence and solitude. 
And I can hear you now in the grand screen. This is so unpractical. Listen to me. It may not be practical in the 21st century, but is absolutely necessary. One of the reasons that we're living such disjointed, goofed up lives is we never ever slow down and experience silence. That just made you uncomfortable, didn't it? My pause for a moment. I was so convicted the first time I was ever confronted with this idea. As I thought about my life and how I kept noise in it all the time, constant. So if you get in my car, some people have noticed this over the years. There's no radio home. There's one in there. I just don't listen to it. Here's what I've discovered on my way here in the morning. That few minutes of silence prepares me for what's coming. When I'm driving to a hospital or to a place of desperation, as Pastor David has to do data, I'd go in silence. And in those moments, I'm, I'm seeking what God would have. I'm getting my mind right. Essentially, every day I get in my car and I drive home in silence and I ask God, God, help me not take this burden into my home. It's yours. And when I lay down at night or sometime in that period to get along, it is essential. So as sleep is necessary for your body, Whitney said, silence and solitude are necessary for your soul. One of the reasons you don't have perspective, brothers and sisters, is you're not slowing down long enough to gain it. When you get the perspective from God, here's what'll come. You'll offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. So what is a right sacrifice? Psalm 51, verse 16. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with burnt, a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. Are you noticing a theme here? It's brokenness that God is moving toward. This makes the preacher put her good, good. Here's what you're believing. Here's the lie you're believing. My brokenness is keeping me from God. When God's saying, he is letting the brokenness in your life to drive you to him. That's hard, isn't it? It, it is intended to drive you to, not away. To come to him in a broken and a contrite spirit, not in a demanding, entitled way. So watch out for this prosperity gospel stuff. But you Slam your fist and tell God what to do. We don't tell God what to do. We pray his promises according to who God is. You don't warp his promises according to who you are. You pray his promises according to who he is. And when you do, the Lord gives joy in the face of sadness. There are many who will say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. So this question, who will show us some good? So this, this is obviously David's friends now. So basically they're saying, David, can it get any worse? Or, or they may be saying this, does anything good ever happen to you, David? 
David here is testifying that though he may be destitute of all other good things, the love of God the Father is sufficient to compensate for the loss of everything. God's enough. Now people misunderstand this gift from God. We believe, either overtly or subtly because of the culture we live in, that the only way we're experiencing good is when God gratifies our passions. What I mean is things that enter through the medium of our senses, what we can see, taste, touch, feel. And we reject that spiritual good from a holy God can come to the soul and that the soul can be gratified. Brothers and sisters, here's what the Psalms are teaching us. The goodness of God is better than what you can see, feel, taste, and touch. One of the Puritans wrote, the world is a floating island. Now get the image. The world is a floating island. It's on water. And the creature who casts his anchor upon it will be carried away with it. So if your only hope is the things of this world, you're gonna be carried away. Jesus said it this way. What does a prophet of man if he gain the whole world and lose his what? His soul. Verse seven, you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. Now I want you to turn with me, if you like, to Isaiah chapter nine. Isaiah chapter nine. Now I'm gonna read verse two and I'm asking you the question in advance, where historically, biblically, does this text show up in the history of salvation? The people who have walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. The answer is it shows up in the gospels at the birth of Christ. The light that shines on the people walking in darkness is Jesus Christ. Now watch the application of Christ who has come and bore the darkness for us on the cross and has risen again what he has done for us. Verse three, you have multiplied the nation. So it's not just for Israel now, it's for the nations. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with the joy at the harvest as they are glad when they divide the spoil. So he's saying God has made his people more joyful than harvest time or those who just won a war and taken everything over. Christ is the one who puts joy in our hearts, the God of our salvation. And that joy translates into the Lord giving rest in the midst of turmoil. Now this text confronts the underlying or the overt idea that if something bad is happening to me, I must not be walking with God. Now, folks, Let's all admit that's here, that's in the room, that's in the church, that you're sitting in a growth group and somebody starts sharing all this brokenness in their life and the first thought in the back of your mind is, where are they sinning? Now, be careful here. Does sin bring dire consequences in our life? 
Yes, it does. It does. I'm not denying that at all. But all difficulty in the life of a believer is not the result of their sin. It is the result of sin, of a broken world that we live in. Last time I checked, sinners sin. And they sin against us. Now what the psalm is saying here that when these difficult moments come from others or through the brokenness that sin has created in the world, verse eight says, in peace, I will both lie down and sleep for you alone make me dwell in safety. Now I'd underline circle. It's marked in multiple ways in my Bible. You alone. This is from God only that you alone make me dwell in safety. So this is, Referring not only to protection from enemies and protection from hostilities, it is referring to the presence of peace. It has a future dimension to it that God, who is our faithful shepherd, will ensure the security of his people forever. And this is the same reason that in Psalm 3, verse 5, David said, I lay down and slept. I woke again for the Lord sustained me. So I press into my own heart, into yours, and ask this question. What would happen if we brought God more and more into the minutia of our daily lives? If, he, if we did, brothers and sisters, we would experience a measure of rest to which many of us may now be strangers to. We would have less dread of sickness. Or could I use the word cancer? There's a sister in this church whom God has grown through adversity in tremendous ways. I won't give you the biography of the last three years of her life. She walked up to me before the eight o'clock service this morning and with a smile, not a giddy smile, not a sarcastic smile, with a contentment joy, with a smile and said to me, pastor, my cancer has returned. That, that we would have that kind of peace and rest in our body and our soul. That we could say to God, I will lie down and sleep and I'm gonna leave tomorrow to you. I'm gonna leave it to you. Tell you a historical story. A man named Nicholas Ridley, 16th century English reformer. I'm sorry I'm a nerd sometimes, but this nerd story helps. Bloody Mary condemned Ridley and his comrade Lattimore to death for preaching the gospel. And the night before they were lashed to the stake and burned to death, Nicholas Ridley's brother came to the cell with permission and offered to spend the night with his brother to bring him comfort. 
It is said that Ridley said to his brother, I mean to go to sleep and to sleep as quietly as I ever have in my life. The next day, he and Latimer were lashed to the stake. The fire was lit. And Latimer looked over to Ridley and said, be of good comfort. Play the man, Mr. Ridley. In other words, be a man. 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Act like a man of God. For this day, we will light such a candle by God's grace in England that as I trust will never be put out. And guess what? Bloody Mary and all the government of Europe could not keep back the Reformation. The gospel spread like wildfire and launched all the way over here. That fire's still burning today in this room. In peace, I will lie down and sleep for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. And happy the Christian who having nightly with this verse committed himself to his bed as to his grave shall at last with the same words resign himself to his grave as to his bed from which he expects in due time to arise and sing a morning hymn with the children of the resurrection. You say, what does that mean? And why did you read that complicated sentence? It came up in everything I studied this week. Here's what it means. You ought to apply this verse every night. You ought to go to bed, trust in God. And when you're laying on your deathbed and you're about to go to sleep, the last time you close your eyes, you should lie down in peace and trust that when you awake, you're gonna sing the hymn of the children of the resurrection. This is a gritty hymn, a gritty psalm. Speaks to life. So I bring it down to the final question. And here it is. Am I praying as though the Lord hears me when I call? Now the first question really could stop after the first three words. Am I praying? So everybody hear me in this room and I'll stand behind what I'm gonna say. If you're not praying, you're not praying for two reasons. Number one, you don't understand who God is. Number one, you do not understand who God is and what God offers. Number two, you believe this world has more to offer than God. That's the simple reasons you don't pray. You can hide behind, you don't know how, et cetera, et cetera. It's those two simple reasons. Friends, I have to come to terms and you have to come to terms. We live in an autonomous world that believes it can do whatever it chooses to do if it'll just try hard enough. And that bleeds over into our theology, what we believe about God. When God is teaching us, we depend on him. And dependence on him is expressed in prayer. I'll read two passages of scripture. 
Philippians 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. A lesser known text, Psalm 16. Verse seven, I will bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. Why? Verse 10, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound like you've heard that before? You have, because in the New Testament, that text is applied to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Here's why you pray. Christ died in your place. He bore the burden of your sin. He was buried and died. And three days later, his soul did not experience corruption. He rose again and has ascended and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he has made a way and is making intercession for you and for me. So we come in fullness of joy, knowing that God hears us. So what is important here today? It's not so much all these principles that you get them all lined up exactly right. What is important is that you see in this psalm, this psalm is showing how God changed David. He moved from anxiety to trust. Quote, which is to say in modern jargon that prayer was his therapy. A couple of years ago, I was completely astounded when I read and found out that more than 50% of pastors in the United States are on antidepressant, anti-anxiety medication. More than half. Now I confess that as pastors, we're not only living the difficulty of life that you're living, we're also multiplying, hearing every day your difficulties and carrying them with us. But when we do what many of you are doing, looking to the world to solve that anxiety, why do we still have anxiety? Now I'm gonna confess here and I'm gonna do so carefully that there are some of you in this room that because of the way your body works and the chemicals in your brain, you have necessity of those kind of drugs. But I also wanna say that I think the majority of people who are taking them don't need them. What they need is the Lord. It's not that you need more therapy from a counselor. You need the Lord. And by the way, if you're, not, if you're going to a counselor and that counselor is not leading you to Christ, they're leading you to the wrong place. 
They're creating a dependency that you'll keep coming back for the rest of your life when they ought to be leading you to the one who is higher than they are. It is Christ. Because when we come to him, here's what we get. Grace. Perspective. Joy. Peace. The Lord responds personally to provide for his own. I close with the account of a man that God has blessed me in my life to know. He was a wisp of a little man. He might have weighed 120 pounds. His name was Willis Clark. Willis lived in a shack. His career was the bulldozer driver for the Catawba landfill. That little shack was full of treasures. And if you went to Willis's home, you were going to get something he plucked from the landfill. I used to take kids from the youth group and I'd tell the girls, if he gives you something, you treat it like a diamond ring. Willis contracted an aggressive form of bladder cancer. I will never forget the humility. It had never dawned on me. I'd been in his house before. It never dawned on me that he didn't have a functioning bathroom. And how humbling it was for a group of us to go over and to take his back porch and create a place for this man with cancer ravaged his body that he could go to the bathroom and he didn't have to go outside. This was 1987. I never saw, never heard, never saw the appearance of any complaint or aggravation or negativity that God was doing something wrong to him. He lived in a quiet, peaceful assurance that God had him. And one night in that little shack, Willis drifted off and went to be with Jesus. And as I pondered this verse, he's one of many in my life as a pastor that I've watched every night lie down and go to sleep in peace to the last day on this earth. I've learned so much to watch God's people. God's people dwell in safety. Not like the world sees it. They dwell in safety. God has us. So brothers and sisters, I'm going to pray and then I'm going to implore you to sing to each other. To take this hymn written by a man who lost his family. Who as a result wrote, it is well with my soul. He understood this song. It's what drove him to write. So let us minister to each other as, as people among us need ministry. There'll be pastors to pray with people. There are places here, just come and pray. Maybe you wanna ask somebody to pray with you or to pray over you, or we'll be available after the service to pray with you. Let's all stand together as I lead us in prayer.
Oh God, there are people who showed up here today desperate, needing help. And probably some showed up here thinking the wrong way to get it. God, it is the broken that you move toward. And so I pray that we would confess in the brokenness of our sin, our need of Christ, in the brokenness of our need in our lives, whether it be sickness or other difficulty, that you are the gracious God who hears and responds and gives us what we need. So give perspective and peace. Grant joy to your people. And Lord, those who know it, I pray now they would sing it. And may we implore one another to look to you the God of our salvation is the one alone who can save, as the one alone who grants to his people what they need. We plead this prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Thanks for listening to this audio presentation from Parkwood Baptist Church, located in Gastonia, North Carolina. Please feel free to share this message with others. For more information about Parkwood Baptist Church, visit parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org.